0: Hi, everybody. This is Indira Maka. And in this season of unrest and illness, it is important for me to reiterate the purpose of the 40th year podcast. This podcast is here to educate and entertain the global audience about popular culture and association to societal issues. It's imperative to know that the 40th year podcast can be explicit in nature due to language. I ask if you are under the age of 18, please have a parent or guardian sit with you to discuss any topics where you didn't understand. In addition, any topics discussed on the 40th Year Podcast has been researched with the best of my knowledge. Let's start this episode. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Indi Damaka, and this is episode 31 of the 40th Year Podcast. Again, welcome. Um, Let's get into some housekeeping stuff um, in regards to the podcast. Um, As you know, my distribution list has decreased. I am no longer on um, Google Podcasts, um, unfortunately. Um, Sorry to all those who use that particular platform um, to listen to podcasts, but... Currently, you always know that you can go to Anchor and Spotify to listen to the 40th Year Podcast, as well as other uh, digital platforms like Apple um, and Radio Public. In addition, I wanted to go ahead and give you the uh, series finale um, for the 40th Year Podcast. As you know, or if you're new to the 40th Year Podcast, this is actually a limited series podcast. It began, um, in February on my birthday and it will end, uh, Wednesday, December 9th. That is the 45th episode. Um, again, the series finale for the 40th year podcast will, will be Wednesday, December 9th. And that is episode 45 if I counted right. So, um, you're thinking well, what's coming up after that. There is a podcast idea that I have. And I told you guys before that I am wanting to do the podcast. But the environment right now has left me in a place of uncertainty. And I want to kind of see what it would look like after the presidential election, along with some other elections that I find pertinent to what I do And I think it's important to also take into consideration that I am a caregiver for a loved one. And so that's priority one. I hoped that in 2021 that I will no longer be caring for the individual, but that is where the timing of the podcast plays. When I started the 40th year podcast, it was really just a pet project of mine um, through the Carnal Collective to kind of see how I could move the community through my conversation about popular culture and issues in society. And so I'm hoping for the next podcast, I can put a more serious um, imprint on it, but I need time to rest. I initially said first quarter twenty. 21 but somebody asked me to wait till the summer and so what i wanted to do after the 45th episode is to give you a trailer for the new podcast but if i'm not sure about the timing it doesn't make sense for me to do the trailer so um I'm still up in the air with it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It's really about timing. So let's just be prepared for the 40th year podcast to end on Wednesday, December 9th, and we'll see what happens after that particular timeline. Um, Also, I wanna send prayers and encouragement for those who called Chadwick Bosman a friend. If you know, over the weekend, his life ended due to, he secretly was suffering from um, colon cancer. Apparently he has had it for, it seems like he's had it for maybe three to four years. He started off stage two, and then recently it had become stage four. And a lot of people didn't know, apparently, it seemed that he was working through the health issues he was having, which was incredible to me because to have that kind of cancer, I heard it makes you sometimes not able to have mobility. So uh, again, prayers and encouragement to his family and friends and may his soul rest peacefully. Now Um, let's talk about some tidbits though, from previous episodes. And again, we're back at Brianna Taylor. You're thinking, okay, you're going to be talking about the Brianna con. No, I'm not going to talk about that. It's actually some new information that has come to pass about a former beau of hers, who has recently been arrested for drug charges? It appeared from me um, reading a couple of articles that this man may be the reason why Brianna got into that unlawful um, situation created by the police with the bench warrant or search warrant. I'm sorry um, that they had with her ap- apartment. It appears that the ex boyfriend of Brianna Taylor said that she had nothing to do with the alleged drug trade but it appears that the uh, county courts are offering him some sort of um plea deal to imply that Brianna Taylor was a part of it. He um her ex-boyfriend Jamarcus Glover was arrested on drug charges uh this past Thursday. Um, and he explicitly explicitly said that she had no involvement in the alleged drug trade that he was involved in. It appeared that Glover was a focus in a narcotics probe by Louisville police that eventually led to officers to execute the no-knock warrant on Taylor's home in March. He told the Louisville uh, Courier-Journal that police used misleading information to obtain the warrant, during which Taylor got shot but there was no drugs found in her apartment and so he does all of this he does a lot of blaming to the police but I presume that he was still using Brianna's address for some reason and there was there's some speculation again in the streets of Louisville as to why Jamarcus Glover was using the address and they were pointing at some family members including Brianna's mother Miss Palmer so I don't know what that means it's It's still very much an allegation. And it just seems that Glover is quick to say that she has nothing to do with it, but it would be interesting to see what he does in the plea deal situation to see, does he flip? But he's been very agitated by the fact that they keep saying her name. So I'm thinking it's not true, but then again, he's trying to fight, not going to jail. So it'll be interesting to see what Glover Um, Does I do want to mention something that I read in a CNN article so that you can get a viewpoint on who Glover is He states verbatim to the Louisville uh, courier that this hold on for just a second The police are trying to make it out to be my fault and turning the whole community out here Making it look like I brought this to Brianna's door. There was nothing Never there or anything ever there. And at the end of the day, they went about it the wrong way and lied on that search warrant and shot that girl out here, is what Glover says. Taylor's family and their attorney have maintained that Brianna was not involved in her ex-boyfriend's alleged drug trade. Um, Lonita Baker says to CNN, it's always been our position and still is that she was never involved in any illegal activity. Her little sister, Jania, if I'm pronouncing it right, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I'm sorry. She told CNN previously, again, Taylor was not involved in Glover's alleged drug operation had forbade, forbade him from bringing any aspects of his life into her personal life. She quoted her sister saying the following, you cannot come up in my house with any drugs. My sister lives here and I can't jeopardize her getting hurt because of what you do. Now, Glover and Taylor had a past relationship, but Glover was not Taylor's boyfriend at the time of her death. And he was not in her apartment that fateful morning because it was Mr. Walker, her current boyfriend, who was at the, um, at the house that day. And so Glover was arrested for a number of drug-related charges through Louisville Metro Department of Corrections. The charges are the following complicity possession of controlled substance for cocaine and heroin, complicity trafficking in marijuana, complicity tampering with physical evidence, and then complicity to trafficking cocaine. He's being held on bond of $50,000. So only time will tell. That's a lot of drug charges. And so he will, I mean, especially with the cocaine and heroin stuff, I'm pretty sure he'll be in there for a moment. So it's only time will tell, will he flip on Brianna Taylor? And so, I mean, that's, a, that falls right into what the prosecuting office and what the general attorney Cameron would want. Let's make Brianna Taylor look bad so that Louisville PD stays up. And currently we still have nobody being charged for the death of Brianna Taylor. So let's see what Glover has to offer. Next up is the George Floyd case. As you all know, um, Derek Chauvin is the only one who's still in prison, where the three other officers are still out on um, are out on bail. It appears, though, that Derek Chauvin is asking the judge to dismiss his charges. Um, in court papers this past Friday, Chauvin's attorney says that there's no probable cause to support charges of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Now, in my mind, with that statement, we know that the other three are probably going to say the same thing about their charges. And currently, all four officers are fired. It looks like prosecutors filed a notice that said they're asking for an upward sentencing departure in the cases of Shaven um, J. Alexander Coon, Thomas Lane, and Tau Tau. Attorney General Keith Ellis did not re- define what the request will be, but he told the judge he has reasons to go beyond the sentencing guidelines geared used in Minnesota to factor in a convicted, a convicted person's past criminal history. Um, Mr. Floyd was treated with particular cruelty, the prosecutors wrote, and despite Mr. Floyd's plea that he could not breathe and was going to die, as well as the pleas of eyewitnesses to get off Mr. Floyd and help him, defendant defendant, which is Chauvin, and his co defendants continue to restrain Mr. Floyd. The state also argues that the case has aggravated circumstances because Floyd was particularly vulnerable in handcuffs and also claims that the officers were abu- abusing their authority. It appeared that the other three former officers earlier, they had already filed motions to dismiss, but for some reason, um, Chauvin is just doing it right now. They said the judge who's currently over the case, a Kyle Hill has not yet ruled on any of them. In addition, Chauvin is wanting the attorney, the county attorney's office to be disqualified. Um, in part because Chauvin's attorney calls it an inappropriate pre-trial publicity campaign that is being activated during this situation associated to Chauvin. Cahill um, has denied a similar request by another former officer. And so um, that was interesting. They don't believe that it's enough evidence against them. They do not like the publicity, which I'm assuming... The celebrity factor is what I think they're talking about, because if you pay particular attention to those who were supporting George Floyd, you had Steve Jackson, who was a former NBA player. It was a lot of people who were circling around him, who is a close family friend. And I also thought lookalike, actually, but um, I think that was some of the issue that the four officers saw in the situation and they didn't really like it. You all are thinking Benjamin Crump as well. Yeah. And it seems anything that Benjamin Crump touches somehow the if it's dealing with law enforcement and the brutality of their team, it's looking like they're making requests to have it reviewed, disputed or removed. And so that's something that we need to take into consideration with Derek Shaven and the other officers who were responsible for the death of George Floyd. So with that being said, let's get to today's topics. All right, y'all. So let's talk about Jacob Blake. If you're unaware of, Who Jacob Blake is. Jacob Blake is a young man who was shot seven times in front of his sons by Kenosha, Wisconsin PD. It appeared that the day it took place, there was a call for a domestic dispute, and it appeared that a woman was saying that either her husband or boyfriend was on the property and he was not supposed to be there. So to me, it kind of sounded like there was like a restraining order placed. And so apparently as the officers comes to the premise, it looked like they had ID'd uh, Jacob Blake as the assailant. If that's the term that you want to use. It appears that many people have activated an activism to help Jacob Blake during this situation. He is currently paralyzed from the waist down. It appears that with the seven shots that was done by the police officer, he severed a uh, severed the spinal cord, uh, cracked a vertebrae in the spinal cord, as well as there is issues of severity with some of his major organs. Um, allegedly, I heard that there was a surgery that took place and it looks like he has shown some improvement And that there's some movement in his lower half. So this might be a temporary paralysis, but currently we're going to call him um, disabled until he can regain um, his mobility. So right now, uh, Kenosha PD is on watch because the DOJ, the Federal Bureau of Investigations is on the prowl, as I've said before, um, as well as the Wisconsin DOJ. So, the statement that has been made is that Benjamin Crump it has been enlisted to be of some sort of support to the Blake family. So I'm going to only give you what Wisconsin's DOJ has said about this particular incident. And I'm going to be reading from a press release to kind of give you an idea of what their thoughts were on the incident. Um, The Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation is continuing to investigate the officer involved shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which took place Sunday, August 23rd, 2020. According to the Wisconsin DOJ, Kenosha PD officers were dispatched to a residence on the 2800 block of 40th Street after a female caller reported that her boyfriend was present and was not supposed to be on the premise. During the incident, the officers had attempted to arrest Jacob S. Blake, age 29. After the initial attempt to arrest Mr. Blake, Kenosha police officer Rustin Shisky deployed a taser to attempt to stop Mr. Blake. When that attempt failed, a Kenosha PD officer, Vincent Arenas, also deployed his taser. However, his taser was not successful in stopping Mr. Blake. Mr. Blake walked around. His vehicle opened the driver's side door and leaned forward while holding onto Blake's shirt. Officer Sheeskin fired his service weapon seven times. Officer Sheeskin fired the weapon into Mr. Blake's back. No other officer fired their weapon and Kenosha PD does not have body cameras. Therefore the cameras were not available during the event. The shooting officer Shisky has been a law enforcement officer with Kenosha PD for seven years. Kenosha PD Vincent Arenas has served with Kenosha since February 2019 with prior service with the United States Capitol Police Department. In addition, a Kenosha PD officer named Brittany Moronic joined the PD in January of this year. It appeared during the investigation following the initial incident, Blake admitted that he had a knife in his possession. DCI agents Recovered a knife from the driver's side Floor bed of Mr. Blake's vehicle A search of the vehicle located no additional Weapons. Law enforcement would Immediately provided medical aid To Mr. Blake. They transported Blake to a hospital in Milwaukee and Blake remains At the hospital um, You all may have heard That he was handcuffed to A bed in Milwaukee um, Unfortunately all charges all potential charges and charges that have been presented against uh, Jacob Blake have been rescinded. And so the handcuffs are off his bed. He is going into, he has either gone into surgery or is going into surgery to deal with the se- the severity of his ailments. Um, it's important to remember that he's now a disabled man. And so, I think for me, I'm stepping into the conversation to discuss the the presentation of monies that you all may be trying to advocate to give to him, and focus on the fact that he needs to um, have stuff for his current state. Uh, he will need wheelchairs. He will need transportation. There will be additional services with the way healthcare is operating during this COVID pandemic. A lot of that stuff may not be offered to him until the beginning of next year, God willing, because that is the timeline that they're giving people here in the state of Missouri. And so I don't know what it is when you talk about health care in Wisconsin, especially for those who are disabled. A lot of things will change, whether this is a temporary or permanent situation for him. And it's important to remember that if you're gonna offer help, consider what it will be for him presently, not in the future. In addition, keep in mind his children, but remember his kids need him today and not tomorrow. So anything that you can give them today in their schooling today, that would be welcome as well. It's very expensive to be a person with a disability, whether it's temporary or permanent. And so I wanted you to keep that in mind. And the process is not easy because I hear certain people who don't understand disability services, who think that it's a really quick pace because you are a minority, but they use a different word and we're always begging anyway, it'll be easy. It was never easy when I advocated for them. And as a person who has a disability, it was never easy for me to obtain either. And so they need to start right now. Let the hospital social workers help. Let the disability advocates, let the disability organizations that have the funding help Mr. Jacob and his family get on their two feet as he goes through this process of rehabilitation. It's going to be a long journey. And I don't think any amount of money from Kenosha or from the state of Wisconsin is going to help him with his mind in regards to being paralyzed from the waist down. And so that's imperative. So that's really the, that's really why I want to step in and talk about uh, Jacob for a moment because he's now disabled. And that is a very, very hard place to be when you're once mobile and especially when it happened in front of your children. So keep that keep this family um, in prayer and encouragement. It's definitely going to be needed. The next topic that I wanted to talk about was that there was a sex traffic ring that was busted in the Atlanta, Georgia area. This was a Federal Bureau of Investigations or not. I'm sorry, it wasn't the FBI. It was the DOJ through the U.S. Marshals who activated this charge. It was called Operation Not Forgotten. And it appears that the U.S. Marshals Services has a miss- missing child unit that works Um, With other agencies across the country to help find missing children. And so with this particular effort, they were able to find 40 missing children in Georgia. It appeared that it was a two week operation in August in Atlanta and Macon, Georgia, that they were rescuing endangered missing children. Operation Not Forgotten resulted in the rescue of 26 children, the safe location of 13 children, and the arrest of nine criminal associates. In addition, the investigators were able to clear 26 arrest warrants and file additional charges of for alleged crimes related to sex trafficking, parental kidnapping, registered sex offender violations, drugs, and weapon possession, and custodial interference. The 26 warrants were cleared include 19 arrest warrants for a total of nine individuals arrested who had who some had multiple um, warrants. It appeared that the missing children who were involved in Operation Not Forgotten were considered to be one of the most at-risk and challenging recovery cases in the area. Um, it was based on indicators of child sex trafficking, child expectations, sexual abuse, physical abuse, medical and or mental health conditions. Other children were simply being located at the request of law enforcement to ensure their well-being. The U.S. Marshal Service investigators were able to confirm each child's location in person and assure their safety and welfare. It appeared that the following agencies were involved in Operation Not Forgotten in the Georgia area. It was the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Georgia Office of Attorney General, Georgia Department of Family and Children's Services, Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice, the FBI and the Children's Health Care of Atlanta. I just thought this I mean, it was interesting to me because I like I said, I kept thinking for two women, I'm not going to talk about them no more. On this podcast, because this was it for me, your priorities were off and I could see it from jump. But to see this take place in your state and you were concerned about being a VP and not really handling what was at home. This could have probably never happened if you were paying attention. But, you know, the glitz and glamour of being a VP, I guess you, you thought that would be more that was more pertinent than the well-being of the juvenile citizen in your area. And it appears to me that Atlanta is starting to become a depot for sex trafficking. It looks like St. Louis had been a depot and so was Memphis and Dallas. But I can tell Atlanta is starting to pick up in that process. And that's something that we need to take into consideration when we talk about sex trafficking. It's, you know, people want to make fun and do videos and tell you to do OnlyFans for donations, but this is a serious, serious situation, especially for the young woman of color. They're already telling you that you're not good enough and to see this take place, and uh, uh, grateful that it's a recovery, but we still need to talk about this with our young women so that they don't become a victim because they make it sound like it was cool. It was a woman actually in Atlanta. She was a Nigerian national, supposedly. She was going to Nigeria telling these young women that if you come to America, you will be a nanny. Came to America to find that they had only been trafficked for sexual pursuits. That was very devastating to me. I saw that on the DOJ's uh, media site. And so, you know, it goes both ways. We need to be able to identify what these sex traffickers look like. And we need to be able to tell our girls, whether they're black, white, or other, this is what it is. We don't have those conversations anymore. And it's important that we continue exposing this to our community so that we can get rid of it. Let's get to the next topic. All right, y'all, for you all who are active listeners of podcasts, you would know that Joe Button made the announcement that he was leaving Spotify um, to take the Joe Button podcast to another outlet. Um, On his podcast episode entitled Views from the Spot, he let everybody know when his last day was, which I think was like late September and he was not able to say where the podcast was going at the time and so um as most people were under the impression there was a lot of faux pas that took place between him and spotify as he walked down what i call walk down the aisle with them as a exclusive partner to his content um it was a lot of things you know basically it had a lot to do a lot to do with money and a lot to do with time and unfortunately because Spotify was new to the podcast game, I think it was a learning lesson for both the two, because you could kind of tell with the way they articulated the contracts with other people, um, I think they did it with more of a severe hand than they did with Joe, and so that's where there was a lot of issues between Button and his team and Spotify. Another digital content creator, uh, Charlemagne, the guy you know him from the Bex- Breakfast Q- Crew um, on iHeartRadio in New York, he simply said that he assumed that it was really just Joe Button being Joe Button. Um, Joe Button was under contract with a another digital media group called Complex, and he made the same statements that there was issues in regards to time and money and so he felt that um, Joe just hit another impasse with Spotify um, the conversation of just being undermined and undervalued we had heard it before and so charlemagne didn't didn't care it was really just joe button doesn't know how to do business was kind of the summation that i was getting from charlemagne the day he made the statement and I don't know if it's that. I do think the articulation of the contract was the problem. Because when they talked about the editorial calendar, to me, it didn't sound like you all were taking into consideration that you guys need days off. One of the things that I did not like about Joe Button's podcast is this. It went from one time a week to two times a week. That's too much in my mind in a nutshell. That should have never happened in my mind. Then you go from giving your audience an hour and a half was the max to these, you doubled it to where it was like three hours and 20 minutes to me where it could have to me made an issue amongst you and the rest of your team. And I know you gave an articulation about um, it being some kind of like threshold about how people, how long is the retention rate as a person hits the podcast? Do they make it to the very end? or do they cut off in the middle? And I guess that's what Spotify's pay, Spotify pay attention to. Now, somebody told me it has changed that the moment the person hits the podcast, you get credit. But I don't know. And it's a, like, I'm only on, I'm on Anchor, which Spotify is their parent company. And so for me, I read the terms of agreements and I understand it. And so my content is my content. And so there seemed to be a question about what they could and couldn't say. That wasn't said on the podcast. This is just a rumor. And so I think that that is why Charlemagne is really throwing shade on Joe Button because there are certain things that they wanted to talk about, but Spotify asked them not to talk about it. And that happens sometimes because that's the thing that I think everybody in the podcast community has to take ownership when we go into this conversation of distribution Um, that our agenda may not be the distributor's agenda and that the agenda that they have, we could be conflicting it and that they just want to get rid of it. And so that's what I thought from complex. And I felt that that's why Spotify was an agreement to letting Joe go because whatever Joe wanted to do, it didn't look like they were going to be able to satisfy his need. And it just wasn't articulated in the best way. Um, I mean, shit happens. And if it, I mean, it's just, it's a learning curve, especially in digital. It's always a learning curve because there's always something being thrown from out of nowhere dealing with the world wide web. That's, that's the consensus. He did make it clear that he was willing to allow his next movement in digital media to be placed on Spotify. It just would be be one of his distribution spots. So it would be interesting to see where Joe goes next. I thought title, but apparently in the conversation about him letting um, Spotify go, title had requested them to come to them, but apparently they declined. So I thought, Oh, that's, that, that answers some questions. Some people also just thought YouTube, um, because he's already on YouTube. So it was Spotify audio wise. And then YouTube, you got to see the actual video of the podcast being made. And so it would be intriguing to see where he goes next. I mean, I think, uh, made a valid statement. It's just that it seemed to him that Joe was the problem. And I just think at this point he is just trying to, learn how to deal and show value for his stuff. And so, hey, it is what it is. Like I'm still learning too. So I mean, everybody is at the door with podcasts, trying to make sure they're doing the right things. We would always want to be like a Joe Rogan or a Joe button in this thing, but you got to understand it's digital is very tricky. The technology can become tricky. And if you don't know how to explain it, you can maneuver and get played in a contract. Am I saying that's what Joe Button did? I just think there was a misunderstanding or it wasn't articulated properly enough for him to get what he needed and it fell apart. And sometimes it takes two or three times for you to understand. That doesn't mean he's not bad at business. It just being able to articulate it to be clear. This is what I want. And that's it. Let's get to the next topic. All right. Y'all. Kanye West is back in the news. You're like, yeah, the presidential stuff. No, no, no. This is a little bit different. It's about a black owned uh, startup that is focused on technology that was helping um, Kanye with his Sunday service and his e-commerce site for his apparel and accessory brand called Yeezy. It appears that the company filed a federal lawsuit in California recently that, was basically alleging that he ripped off the firm um, in association to his Sunday service and Yeezy online business. Um, It appeared that he had set up an oral agreement for the company, which is called My Channel, to build his his Sunday service and Yeezy e-commerce platform and then reneged without payment. The lawsuit set by My Channel Inc. is seeking more than $20 million in damages, claiming that West made promises during a 2018 joint venture that drained the company of resources and acquired its proprietary technology and trade secrets. It appeared that the founders moved to be close with them. They worked with them around the clock for six months and then West ultimately violated their May 2018 non-disclosure agreement, cut ties, and then launched a copycat version of their technology. It looked like he abruptly attempted to terminate the oral partnership. He refused to invest in my channel and he even wouldn't Reimbursed them for millions of dollars that the company had already sunk into Yeezy's e-commerce business. And he also they also claimed that he misappropriated my channel's proprietary information and technology to launch his Sunday service project. It appears that the channel which they're talking about, the Sunday service channel um, was very successful. It led West into receiving at least a million dollars a night every time the Sunday service appeared um, in merchandise sales, which demonstrated to my channel the economic loss that they had had suffered due to not getting the payment that they deserved. It appeared that the technology that was stolen, according to the lawsuit, combined video capture along with artificial intelligence to make an event like Sunday service um, look as a shoppable stream where a viewer could seamlessly buy Yeezy brand merchandise that was featured in the video. Um, it seemed that the founders of my channel relied on a series of promises from Wes and other people in his organization for six months that convinced them to focus hundred percent of their attention on Kanye and Yeezy and they invested their own money of seven million dollars for good measure. It appears that the founders and other personnel from my channel moved from Pennsylvania to Yeezy's headquarters in California and then Illinois and then worked full time at the insistence of Kanye. It appeared that the founders and about a dozen of, uh, a dozen other personnel spent six nonstop months working for Mr. West and Yeezy and basically excluded them from working on any other projects but Yeezy and that was at a considerable amount and they did not receive any converse, any conversation of compensation from west or his team the deal included a june 28th promise where west said that he would make a 10 million dollar strategic investment in my channel but every time the founders raised the issue to kanye about giving the funding that he promised. He told them that they were thinking small and that they should focus on bigger revenues and profits that would result from their pro- partnerships. And the founders continued to trust them and push forward. The founders of my channel, Julian Duggan and a Gibran Gadsden, said they worked for West during a time where he publicly called, did kind of had a call to action to supporting black entrepreneurs like them, but a promptly after, uh, West traveled to Uganda in Africa, he cut ties with the company using in, uh, to say verbatim some untrue perceived slight as a prefix. It seemed that West had explicitly reneged on his promises seemingly on a whim and walked away from the successful partnership while misappropriating my channel's proprietary and trade secrets, which netted West a hundreds of millions of dollars off the back of my channel. As the paperwork filed in federal court in California said, it appears that the attorney who handles um, Yeezy from a business standpoint legally has not responded to anybody. Actually, I, I, to be honest with you, I actually don't understand why there was not a written contract. That does not make any sense to me, especially when it's technology. I mean, I know it's Kanye West, but not enough for me to, uh, that'd be one of the reasons why I'm writing a check, writing, writing. If ain't no check written, we don't get to do nothing. I ain't having nobody stop what they're doing without some money being seen. That is and for him to have for the founders to have personnel to pick up what they have in Pennsylvania to roll to California, then Illinois. I'm pretty sure they're being sued by them. I just I don't know. I don't have no sympathy for my channel. That don't make no sense. Oral agreement. Oh, no, you need to have a written agreement. I don't know how this is going to play off. I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a fail in my mind. I mean, unless they got text messages and emails stating some of this stuff. I mean, I guess I just I don't know. That sounds that's that. I mean, that's not it. That's not like a bunch of groupies running behind. I mean, they might get a percentage of it, but not the amount that they are requesting. that don't make no sense. Let me stop this. That's 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 aggravating, to say the least. I don't I don't have no sympathy for him. I mean, it sounds like they really knew what they were doing. If he was able to make that much money, one million dollars a night off of these guys, technology and you didn't get a percentage of it. Yo, man, I don't know. Let's talk about somebody that I like for real, though, because that, 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 that bothers me too much. Uh, let's talk about Britney Spears. It looks like Britney Spears has been in the news for a little while because she has made a request to the court to relinquish her father as her conservator, as the person who handles her estate, um, really just who handles her 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 monies. Um, her father had it has been stated that her father has been um, ill some people you say gravely ill, I don't know how sick he is, but he's not able to handle her monies like it used to. And it looks like they've made a request for her little sister, Jamie Lynn, to step in and be her payee. But unfortunately, most people, I guess, in the Holly- in Hollywood and in the music industry have stepped up and said, um, no, 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 let's let Britney handle her own affairs. Um, it appears that many people are saying with the way she's had her, um, she has, uh, a concert in Las Vegas. She has a, I call it a review, uh, of her work in Las Vegas. And it appears that if she can do that day in day out, she should be able to take care of her own, her own affairs. Right. But apparently the way it, is perceived the family does not feel that she's stable enough to handle her own money and they have been able to be successful to have her father be the conservator of her estate. So right now Brittany is asking that she no longer has the conservator, her father, and she doesn't seem to want Jamie either. It looks like, so I don't know if they're family or not, Or I don't know if it's become a conflict now that Jamie's being asked to step in as the payee of her estate, but it looks like she no longer wants the family to help her. I thought, wouldn't it be easy just to do a psych, a court appointed psych evaluation? I haven't read anything anywhere to really state that that's what they're asking her to do, but that to me would be easier to do. Than to have this back and forth notion, because I do agree if she's able to work in Vegas, because Vegas is, you know, that is a an event in itself. And if she's able to do that day in, day out with no issues and nobody is complaining because, you know, the event community in Vegas, they'll give you what you need if you need it, if you ain't handling it properly. So trust me, I haven't heard anything negative about Brittany. So it's weird that I did, it was, it's weird for me to hear that she was going through that. It's actually on social media. It's a free Britney movement. And I have to agree. I do think it's time for her to, I mean, me and her are the same age. It's devastating to see that she's, I mean, everybody goes through an ailment or two. Everybody has a mental illness, but when you see progress, don't you think it's time to let, let her go? It just looks like greed might be involved And the impression that I get, it seems that it could have been a falsity that was created by the family to keep her money. Because you got to understand the the mother and father had been living off of Britney since she was like a little girl. I think around the age of 10 because she used to be a part of the Disney Channel. And so for me, they haven't been they have they to me don't have the idea of how to make their own money. But through Britney. And so I think it's important for the courts and everybody else that's involved in how she should live her life. she understand she's has two kids. Nobody takes the kids out of her home. So there can't be anything wrong with her. Right. Her kids live with her, don't they? So let's go ahead and free Britney. Huh. Now, that's the end of my podcast. Let me get off my um, soapbox. Um, I appreciate you guys for listening. I will talk to y'all next Wednesday. Wednesday. God willing. Bye-bye now.